I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. From the Lithia Body and Paint Sports Desk, powered by BMW of Des Moines, this is an X's and O's update on 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. A rough night for the 21st-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes in Columbus last night against the Buckeyes. Arns, three ball. Good. Arns, got it. Second straight three by Justin Arns. He double figures now for the first time in his career. The call from BTN. Ohio State 90-70 victory. Ahrens finishes with 29 for the Buckeyes. It went from bad to worse after the game. Kyle Rowland of the Toledo Blade alleges that Fran McCaffrey screamed out to an official afterwards, you're a cheating mother blanker. You're a blanking disgrace. No word yet from the Big Ten offices on McCaffrey. We do have word on suspended Iowa play-by-play broadcaster Gary Dolphin. Hawkeye Sports property through Learfield announced today that it will reinstate play-by-play announcer Gary Dolphin beginning with coverage of football practice in the spring. Tonight, it's the penultimate night in college basketball for the MVC. Drake hosts Indiana State 7 o'clock tip-off. You and I host Loyola also at 7. Keep up with KXNO on Twitter and Facebook. Go to KXNO.com to learn more. From Sports Station 1460 KX and find me a better bump than that. You can't. You love. I do. I do. Uh, final opening. hour of the program. Uh, Matt Poston's momentarily. Heartland College Sports covers the Big 12. We will get into the Big 12 with Matt. Uh, and then Zubin Mahente from ESPN in about 20 minutes or so. Um, what have we seen since we spoke with Cappy? I thought there was something that came up. Oh, I know what it is. Uh, Murph and Andy will carry the Q&A session of that press conference live on their show with uh, with Barda and mm-hmm. Dolphin. Murph and Andy Kixino will have the audio of that live. Three o'clock? Uh, that's when it's scheduled to start, so... Um, if you, you know, you want to hear it, you'll be able to do so and hear it live right here on 1460 KXNO as you can hear Matt Postons from Heartland College Sports. Matt Trenton, can we really and truly didn't want to speak with you? Wanted to give you another week off. We're grateful for what you do, but we hate imposing week after week after week. But this Big 12 race, we had to have you back on and talk about this. Um, it's going to be so much fun this final three games of the regular season. Matt, how are you? Yeah. Absolutely, I'm doing good, guys. And I, I certainly don't mind talking Big Twelve basketball at all. It's been a it's been a fun, you know, almost 15 games. We've got uh, two more games tonight, and now we've got a race that, you know, I think everybody has an interest in. I mm-hmm. mean, you have two teams at the top that uh, haven't won the conference in a while. I think it's been six or seven years since K State shared a title. It's I don't think the, that Texas Tech has even ever won a Big Twelve title. I think the last conference title they won was. 
back in uh, back when they were still in the Southwest Conference. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you had Kansas on the outside looking in a game back, and they need help. And Baylor's right there too. I mean, they need a little help, but uh, they're they're only a game back. So there's there's opportunities for them too. So you, you can't ask for much better when you get to this point in the season where you got three or four teams that have a legitimate chance to at least get a share of the conference championship. No doubt. Big spot for Baylor tonight as they will host Texas. But I want to go back to Monday night and that home big Monday uh, streak continues for uh, for Kansas. Just a remarkable streak that they're on. That was number 29 in a row without a loss on big Monday. So did you learn more about Kansas watching that game or or K State with Wade and Brown struggling the way that they did, and you know the depth is really an issue with K State. Who did you learn more about uh, this past Monday, Matt? You know, I think I learned more about Kansas than K State. I mean, you know, K State going into that game, I think they'd won eleven of their last thirteen, and they hadn't lost a Big Twelve game, and uh, you know, they only lost two big, had only lost three Big Twelve games to that point, but they. I felt like going into that game, they had a good chance to, to win, and they just went in and they just didn't play well. And, you know, even when you're a great team, sometimes that's just going to happen. You're going to go in and you're going to have a bad game. It's usually going to happen on the road. It's usually going to happen against a rivalry, uh, rival like Kansas. So I'm not too down on that. We've known about the depth issues all year. We know they're not a deep team. But as long as those six or seven guys play well, they're going to be in every game they play. I, I felt like I learned more about Kansas on Monday night, I learned more about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, they've got, we knew what kind of player Mitch Lightfoot was after last season, but they're starting to show that they're getting their depth back. Lightfoot gave them good minutes. Mm-hmm. Marcus Garrett gave them good minutes. Uh, Diedrich Lawson went in there and took over the game in the second half. They're, they're now kind of inching back toward being a team that can go eight guys deep and not lose anything, and they really didn't have that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the growth of uh, Dobson has been incredible, especially over the last month, as they've asked him to do more, especially on the offensive end. He's delivered. So I really I came out of that game feeling like, you know what, Kansas, I still don't think of them as a Final Four team at this point, but I think of them as a team that can get into the Sweet 16 and maybe even the Elite Eight with the group they have now, and I wasn't real confident in that a few weeks ago. Quentin Grimes, he was also hitting shots, speaking of those freshmen, him and Dotson, kind of growing up here. What is the upside of Kansas come NCAA tournament time? Bill Self, does he does he push the right buttons and have this team at the very least a second weekend team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he always seems to push the right buttons. I think I think I think their progress in the tournament is going to depend a lot on the matchup. I mean, that win helped them. I think at worst right now they'd probably be a three seed in whatever region they're in. So uh, that would have them playing a, a fourteen seed. And that's really important. You know, if they play a team like a um, like a South Dakota State that has two twenty point scores on its mm-hmm. team, one of their players is like is a uh, Wooden Award uh, semifinalist. You know, that's going to be a really hard first round game for them. Yep. Uh, if they end up with a, a a good matchup for them in the first round and the second round, I could see them getting to uh, the second weekend of the tournament. Right now, not knowing what their matchup is, but seeing the way they've played the last few weeks, discounting the loss to Texas Tech. Um, I think they could get to the second weekend, not necessarily easily, but I think there's a good possibility they could do it. Well, the schedule certainly favors uh, Kansas down the stretch in this Big 12 race, but, you know, does it, is it maybe unfair to say that if you had to rank the favorite right now, even though K-State's leading the conference, that Texas Tech would get most people's vote for the you know, the m- most likely team to uh, knock off Kansas at this point? Like the game in Ames a week from Saturday, I think is going to, 
uh, come down to who's going to win the Big 12. And it could be Texas Tech outright if they can win at Hilton, which hasn't been as difficult this year as it has been most years. Yeah, I think there's a distinct possibility that could be a de facto championship game. But going back to Kansas for a second, I, I wouldn't necessarily sit there and say that they're the favorite at this point. They've got two road games left, and they're 2-7 and seven on the road this year. Wow. They have been terrible on the road. I mean, they went into Texas Tech and laid an egg. Yep. One of their only two road losses, I think, are to Baylor, or road wins are to Baylor and TCU. So they've, they've gone to some places. They lost to West Virginia, who just yes. beat TCU in triple yeah. overtime last night. So I'm not going to sit there okay. and tell you that Kansas is going to win all three of their games down the stretch because they've got two road games at Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. I, I think there's another loss in their schedule, personally, the way they've played on the road this year. So if you look at it that way and say Kansas does lose a game, then I think there's a distinct possibility that a win for Texas Tech could mean at least a share of the Big 12 title uh, with Kansas State. And I look at Kansas State's schedule, and they've got another tough game on their, their ledger coming up, but they've got a couple of winnable games. Everybody's got at least one hurdle left if they want to win this thing outright. Everybody's got at least one hurdle they've got to cross in terms of a tough opponent coming up. Uh, so nothing is nothing is assured, but certainly that game with Iowa State is the big game for Texas Tech when you look at their final uh, four down the stretch. Yeah, just uh, K-State's their final three. They've got ba- they host Baylor on Saturday. Not going to be easy. Uh, night game yeah. uh, in Manhattan. Then they go to TCU. TCU's better at home before finishing up with Oklahoma. So that's their final three. Matt, you mentioned Iowa State. Uh, they get Texas next up after their big Monday win against Oklahoma. The Cyclones go down there. I want to get your perspective, though. You're a Texas guy on this Longhorn program. You're number four now. Shaka Smart. Two NCAA tournament bids, probably a third this season. He's yet to win an NCAA tournament game at Texas. How are the Natals handling that? It's I know football is certainly king with the Longhorns, but a pretty good basketball program throughout the years. Four years in without an NCAA tournament win, if that's how it goes, will the pressure be on Shaka going into next year? I think there'll be some pressure. I don't think it'll mean necessarily he loses his job or he's necessarily on the hot seat because I think the way the locals look at him right now is he's recruited well. Um, he's brought in some really good players. I think he has some really nice young pieces on this team. I think Jackson Hayes has the opportunity to be a really, yep. really good player in this conference the next couple of years should he decide to stay. I was going to say because I thought I saw him. I've seen him in some lotteries and some mocks recently, Matt. Yeah, I have too, and I'm having a hard time understanding why because I don't think his game is there, but he uh-huh. is a, a long 6'10 center type of guy who can defend the rim and rebound right now while his scoring uh, ability you know, comes along. I think Mo Bamba was actually further along mm. last year at this time than Jackson Hayes is right now. So I prefer to see him stay in school another year. But you know, there's a possibility he could go, and that's that's been part of the problem for for Smart. He has committed to some guys that have that one and done capability, and they've left. And then he's been left holding the bag, trying to recruit players that could potentially take those spots. So um, I, I like the young pieces he has. Uh, he's recruited well. It just hasn't all come together yet, and it's really, for this year, it's been two things. It's been they haven't been the defensive team they were last year, and I think some of that's the rim protection that Mo Bamba gave them. And then they have not been as good a shooting team this year as they were last year. They've been one of the worst shooting teams in the conference for the bulk of the season, and when they do have really good games, it's because they shoot really well. But that's been few and far between for them so far this year. I don't think he's in the hot seat, but I think the Natives do start getting restless, especially if, especially if they make the NIT this year. I don't think an NCAA tournament bid is a given for them right now. Mm. A big spot tonight is they'll go to Waco to take on Baylor. This Baylor team is, I think, better than anybody thought. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all knew coming in they had talent. I, I think the, the concern was experience. They didn't have a lot of it. They only had three returning lettermen. They knew Jake Lindsay wasn't coming back because he was hurt. Then they lose Tristan Clark. Mm-hmm. They've lost King McClure for a month. Mackay Mason has missed games. And yet they've continued to win, you know, that big win at Iowa State. Yep. You know, the, the energy on this team is incredible. And the way that they rebound, despite the fact that they really don't have a true center, they have the best rebounding margin in the conference in terms of defensive rebounds or, or offensive rebounds gotten versus offensive rebounds allowed. I think it's like six and a half a game. Despite the fact that most of their starters are guards, they do a great job of re- out-rebounding the opponent. That's all because of their effort and, and their ability to, to block out. And that's why they've been in practically every game they've played since they've lost Tristan Clark is because their ability to rebound and their energy in doing it and their commitment to doing it might be better than anybody else in the conference. Mm. Last thing, away from uh, from the Big 12, and we'll have you on next week, your schedule permitting to take a look at the final uh, regular season game of the year. We'll do so maybe midweek after all the uh, midweek games have been played. But uh, putting you on your Dallas Cowboys media hat, because you cover the Cowboys too, Randy Gregory, um, sadly he's got an addiction problem. Apparently he's failed another test, and he's going to be suspended uh, for a length of time. But so is David Irving, who played his uh, college ball here at Iowa State and got in a little trouble here that ended his Iowa State tenure. Um, look, he gets on the field. He's a difference maker. He said so in his kind of strange tweets that he was putting out yesterday. David Irving probably going to um, find his way into the front of the commissioner, I would assume, at some point this offseason. Yeah, our Mike Fisher at a Cowboys HQ reported last month that uh, there had been multiple failed tests for uh, David Irving in terms of the, the, uh, the league's uh, substance abuse policy. So um, this is really just the other shoe dropping in terms of uh, the, the suspension or the possibility of suspension for David Irving. I, I don't think he was coming back to Dallas anyway. He was going to be an unrestricted free agent. I think the Cowboys, uh, they've invested a lot of time and a lot of effort in supporting Irving, and it just hasn't quite worked out the way they would hope. You know, At the end of the day, you still need the guy to play. Yes, he's a difference maker. He's on the field, absolutely. Um, both of them are, both Gregory and Irving are, but at some point, um, as a as an organization, you kind of have to make a decision whether you're going to move on. I think they've made that decision on Irving. I don't think he'll be back in Dallas uh, after this free agency period begins, partly because of the suspension and partly because I think there'll be at least one team out there that will be willing to take a chance on Irving uh, because of the talent. With Gregory, it's a little bit different. He's still under contract. I think he'll still be in Dallas because I think Dallas feels a, a, feels a bit more of a, a allegiance, shall we say, to supporting – uh, Gregory, because it's not just about the substance abuse. It's about the fact that he suffers from depression and, and other uh, mental issues. And I think that from their standpoint, I think they feel a little bit more comfortable supporting him at this point uh, than Irving, who I, I think some might perceive as, as someone who's had you know just enough chances and shown that he's not taking advantage of those chances in order to stay on the field. Good stuff, Matt Postens. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you next week, okay? All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate Matt Postens uh, joining us as we talk sports, uh, Big 12, and also a little Cowboys news. Uh, There's NFL news of KX and O's team, the Vikings, picked up Mike Zimmer's contract option, Trent Condon, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Um, So now under contract through next year. So good for this year. Right. And they picked up 2020. Have you got a Grinnell Mutual High School update? I believe we're due one, are we not? We absolutely are. Let's go to the Class 2A quarterfinals. Our updates all week long through next week with the boys' tournament 
Brought to you by Grinnell Mutual Insurance. The opener today, it's seven-seeded Applington Parkersburg and number two Central Decatur in Class 2A quarterfinal action. As they play in the fourth quarter, Central Decatur found themselves down 23-11 after the first quarter. They have come back and now lead 49-43 over AP with about a minute 45 left in that one. Central Decatur leading by six. Updates all throughout the day. Play-by-play tomorrow. Presented by Grinnell Mutual Insurance. Coming up next, Zuba Mahente from ESPN. He joins us. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon. Again, uh, Murph and Andy will have the Gary Barda, Gary Dolphin press conference scheduled to get underway today at 3 o'clock. So if you wanted to hear that, you'll be able to do so right here on 1460 KXNO. Iowa was dominating ESPN.com's top headlines, Trent Condon, over the last hour. Not sure you saw that. Yes. In fact, I think they list six, two of which were Hawkeye-related, reinstating suspended announcer, and reports have Iowa's McCaffrey cursing out officials. Well, what's the old adage? All publicity is good publicity? Trust me. Not true. <laughs> Zubin Mahente, ESPN, joins us. Zubin, uh, you're out of the dentist chair. Tell us what happened. Uh, you, you blew a cap, is that it? Yeah, you know, I don't smoke. I don't, um, I don't eat candy, but I'm kind of a grinder. I kind of grind in my sleep, and it's been a long time coming. And I did the hockey show this morning. Ken, we had your Jets on last night. (laughs) Doing the hockey show with Barry last night. Went home about 2.30, 3 o'clock. And I just ate something, and it literally just, like, popped out. (laughs) And it's, uh, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. So I was like, well, I got nothing to do. I can't really do anything about it. So I uh, woke up first thing. They took me right away, and we got it back. So uh, I was on the Sports Center injured list for about an hour, but – retroactive to last night, but I'm ready to go full bore. So uh, good to be talking to you, and definitely better than uh, being in the dentist chair. There are a few worse places to be in the dentist chair, uh, but it's good to be out, ready to go. And you're right, those Dolphin stories, the Dolphin story and the Fran story have been getting a lot of run. You know, if it wasn't for Duke last night, Mm -hmm. obviously the great, great game between Wisconsin and Indiana, I think Fran would have gotten even more attention. But can I tell you something real quick about the Dolph situation? Um, this is just my opinion. I'm, I'm looking at it from a completely different view. In my limited interaction with him, he was great. I happened to work with John Walter. So when you kind of work with the voice of the Cyclones, you have a little bit of a pathway to the voice of the Hawks. Uh, one thing I know that you know Trent was talking about was seeing it from McCaffrey's point of view. I know a lot of people are looking at it from a defending Dolph's point of view. But when I watched it, and for the time I was in Iowa, when I saw what they did prior to today's press conference, I just simply said to myself, you know what? Um, This is exactly what Iowa's playbook has always been when I was there. Here's the information we're giving you. You deal with it, whether you like it or not. So whether some people wanted a press conference, they wanted to hear the president speak, they wanted to hear Barta speak, they wanted some sort of statement, they wanted to hear him before a game, 
after a game? Can you address this? Why aren't you talking about that? To me, when I was listening to all that, just wondering why so many people were wondering why they wouldn't do or say anything with a stonewalling, the time I was in Iowa, that was just Iowa's modus operandi. It was just simply, here's a statement. We're going to talk. We'll give you what we want. Don't expect anything more. So when fans were frustrated over that and why Iowa wasn't talking, to me, that's just exactly what they've always yep. been. Just to give you a point of comparison, Ken, at Iowa State, and I'm not you know, pitching one school against the other, but it's just it's sort of the methods that they have. Years ago, I did a story on a guy named Walker Scott. He plays for the Iowa State football team. He was in the military, and it was a great story. He had served, and McCarney just loved the kid's attitude that he served and wanted to play football. Went to the barracks to go speak with him, and then we called Dan and said, Dan, I, uh, I kind of need your comment. I want to know why you have him on the team. He's like, no problem. John called him, and he said, I'm at the Big 12 week meetings. My wife, Margie, we're flying back today. I said, great. When can I talk to you? He goes, there's a restaurant named Chips in Ankeny. Why don't you just meet me in the parking lot? And we decided a time, and we just talked to him. And so I'm not saying Iowa needs to bend over backwards like Coach Mack was willing to do for us, but Iowa stonewalling and not saying something, I was a little surprised to hear a lot of your listeners on KXO, KXNO be sort of just you know, stunned by that. I always took that as exactly what Iowa's method was, and I covered a couple of sorted stories at the University of Iowa, and stonewalling was their thing. I was a little surprised to hear how many people were shocked that that was the approach this time around. Zubin, I couldn't agree with you more, and I go back to when uh, myself and that other guy started uh, on the air in 1996, and Iowa State would bend over backwards. They got it. They needed to hear have their coaches on the air, even though it was a fledgling sports station, a new format that had never come here to, uh, never been in place in Des Moines. Tom Kershell got it. Iowa would just as soon, in my opinion, have built a, a wall around Fort Kinnick and just kept everybody out, and they would have been much happier. But I do have to correct you on one thing regarding the Dennis chair if you ever sit down in dr stephen fuller's chair it's an entirely different experience he's my guy two locations that's okay right that was good yeah that that was smooth uh east 29th street in des moines uh, 8th street southwest in altoona uh well done yeah thank you you know here's my here was my problem with with mccaffrey last night and look we've all heard coaches i mean i think jim schoenfeld have another donut you fat pig to uh don koharski in uh in new jersey was maybe as uh, a classic coach's rant as you're ever going to hear but when he used the word cheating zubin that that to me crossed the line that cuts in the integrity of sports that's almost you know you're on the take this game is fixed you're cheating uh that to me is i think is what's ultimately going to get fran mccaffrey in hot water with the conference yeah to me i just look at it like this and i know last night wasn't exactly what they were looking for but you know uh, what bohannon's been able to do recently i just think that all of this this last night which was uh not unsurprising not out of character but still jarring considering the language and how far he went um but he Put that on top of Dolphins. And you, you tell me, Trent, you've been watching this team for the, almost 40 years now. Um, this is on track. I know last night was a little bit of a flip. Mm-hmm. This is on track to be one of the better seasons, regular seasons, regular seasons, in Iowa basketball history. Yeah. And this is like, it, it, that's what we should be talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't understand Bohannon hits that shot. We can't hit that shot. And certainly Iowa's been in the spotlight for that. They've been clutch when they needed to be. But A number one, it should be that way. I know there are many fans that I still know there, like yourself, that grew up with A.C. Earl and B.J., and that they're actually Hawkeye basketball fans first. I know it's a football state, and people love Coach Fry, and I love Coach Fry, but there's a lot of people that are just dying to see the resurgence 
of Iowa basketball. Now, is this team is fun to watch? I don't know. They don't run it up and down the way Dr. Tom does, but obviously some of Bohannon's heroics have brought back the sort of flair for the dramatic. But I think that the notion that this is one of the better seasons for a guy that people are still on the fence about, and none of that is being discussed because of all of these other periphery issues, and I don't know what the situation is with Fran and, and Gary. It feels like it's personal. It feels like there's some sort of vendetta, but so at least you'd have to say, you know, Fran had the hand in that. I completely understand the president, donors, Barta, they report to all those people. But Fran's kind of got a hand in what's going on with Gary. He could easily put a stop to it if he wanted to. He could say, hey, it's no big deal. I coach the team. He calls the games. But, you know, he's put himself into that situation. He's injected himself in there. He obviously injected himself in there last night. That was frustration, and I understand that. But considering Fran's temper, nobody should be really surprised. It's just the length of which he went. But all of this is drowning out, frankly, what a really good job he's done, what a great resurgence Bohannon has had, how well Reese Camp, I know he disappears from time to time, but overwhelmingly he's been a terrific addition. And this is a team that lost Pemsel. I mean, this is a team that really deserves to be lauded for what it's done in the depths of Iowa regular season lore. you got to do something in the tournament. That's, that's obviously there. But this all is taking away from, generally speaking, what has been a really good basketball team. And that's a shame. Well, I think it goes hand in hand with what you mentioned there with McCaffrey and people trying to wrap their arms around this guy, which can be difficult to do. He has this program back to what they were under Dr. Tom. You know, we remember early Dr. Tom, the Elite Eight run in year number one, number one ranking, year two, Sweet 16. He went over a decade without another Sweet 16 appearance. So many people missed that part of it. It was a long tenure. It was 13 years. He had three Sweet 16s. The first two years and the final year. And in between, there was a whole lot of what we've seen under Fran McCaffrey. And you're right. They're on pace to have a better regular season than they've had since the 86-87 team. That's where they can go. It's going to come down to that big moment, though. And maybe that's what Fran McCaffrey's missing. That breakthrough moment. A Big Ten tournament championship. A beat, a win in this round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16. And it feels like for this fan base that is pretty fractured right now, Zubin... He needs that. He needs that breakthrough moment to bring everybody back together. I agree with that. I just think there's a lovable aspect of Dr. Tom, a fuzzy, warm aspect that this guy doesn't have. And I'll go back to Alford. When when I was there, Alford was there. You know, I was there for Luke and Reggie in that highly anticipated season. Clubbed. Oh, no. Lost him. We'll get him back. We'll get him back. Because I want to ask him, uh, well, i got a number of things we got to ask him. So we will uh, reconnect with Zubin Mahente here. Do you want to take our last break, Trent Conan, while you reconnect? Why don't we do that? We'll take our final break. We'll come back. More of Zubin Mahente, Miller & Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Are the best for right now. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Let's uh, finish up here with Zubin Mahente. Spend a few more minutes with Zubin. Still some uh, topics that we want to scratch off of our list. Uh, Zubin, uh, welcome back. You were talking about Dr. Tom. I'll let you finish up that point. Then I want to talk actually about your Rutgers squad because I'm a Pikel believer, and they will make their way to uh, Carver Hawk. Guy uh, for the final regular home game for the Hawks coming up this weekend. But uh, your point on Dr. Tom? Yeah, my point with Dr. Tom, I was just telling this to Trent during the break. Full disclosure, I actually thought we were on the air, Trent. So sorry. I'll just, <laughs> you'll, have to listen, you'll, have to, <laughs> you'll have to hear this twice. Yeah, okay. But uh, 
I, I just actually really just thought that Dr. Tom was, he embodied what it is to be an Iowa. He was humble, hardworking, friendly, nice, lovable. Kirk is that way, too. You know, Kirk's not from Iowa, but over the course of the last 20-plus years, he's had a lot of those characteristics and traits. And if Stan ends up doing what Steve did, which is, you know, you know, take a team to the top three, Steve, believe it or not, did that. Steve beat the number one team in the country, the defending national champions in his first game. Steve was seen as a great hire, and he eventually did win a Big Ten title tournament championship. Uh, you know, record led them for a couple of days in an amazing fashion. Even if he does all that stuff, and exactly this what Steve did, I don't think he'll be embraced because even though Steve took him to a top three ranking, brought in Luke and Reggie, had an amazing start out of the gate defeating UConn, and eventually won that tournament title. I never felt like Iowa fans embraced him or wrapped their arms around mm-hmm. him. They were always a little cool to him, probably because he was always a little too slick and cool for them. And I kind of see Fran the same way. He could have some accomplishments. We can't to take them to great heights. His son could play well. Bohannon can continue to hit big shots. But I just never feel like McCaffrey or Alford will be embraced. They might be respected and appreciated, although for Alford, I'm not sure either of those fit for a lot of the fans. They might be respected and appreciated, but they'll never be beloved the way Dr. Tom is. Even though Trent mentioned Dr. Tom had that drought, I just kind of feel as though whatever those two guys do, and obviously Alfred's biography is written, whatever Franz ends up doing, it'll be more of a, a nod of appreciation at best. I just don't think either of those guys have the personality or the characteristics to allow Iowa fans to wrap their arms around. Uh, Zubin, I want to uh, get to uh, Rutgers, Iowa this weekend. Uh, Iowa, again, final home game of the regular season. They'll finish out Wisconsin at Nebraska. I watched Sunday night's game, Minnesota. They came back and beat Minnesota. I watched the uh, post game with Peichel afterwards on the Big Ten Network. I like this guy, Zubin. I do. I mean, it's crazy to think that they don't play on opening night of the Big Ten tournament, yet there's a blue-blooded Indiana, and there's a Nebraska team that I thought was going to challenge maybe Purdue for that second level of the Big Ten this year, and there they are on opening night. Peichel has done a nice job with this team. This is a scary team, I think, in the uh, in the Big Ten tournament, Zubin, meaning they can pick off a team that they're not supposed to. Yeah, because if they have a little momentum going in, they'll be fine. I don't think they can win this game Saturday at Carver-Hawkeye, but then they close by hosting Penn State and going to Indiana. And I, you know, I think the Penn State game is winnable, and I'm not really sure what kind of Indiana team you're going to get. So I think they'd have a little momentum going in. I definitely think, if, I think most fans that follow the Big Ten would agree, and this is not exactly a high bar, Ken, but this is about as good as they have looked mm-hmm. since entering yep. the Big Ten. Again, not exactly, uh, you're not exactly uh, jumping through huge hoops here, but it's one of those things where they have a couple things going for them that I like. They're big and physical. Like, even if you only watch them a couple times, they're really big. They have a couple of tree trunks down there that do a really good job and make things physical. And to me, Peichel is the right choice because, you know, Rutgers isn't Indiana. They can't go make a splash higher and go get an Archie Miller. They're not a Texas that can go get a Shaka Smart. They are who they are. They haven't been to the NCAA tournament since 1991, which is almost unfathomable with the amount of talent that comes through New Jersey. They needed to get a small college guy that knows the area, that coached in the region. For him, it was Stony Brook here in the Northeast. He was a former captain for Jim Calhoun. For the fans that remember, Pico played at UConn and was a captain and is a beloved guy here in the state of Connecticut for what he did for one of the earlier Jim Calhoun teams. So I think it's an all-politics-is-local type situation. Get a guy that can scout, recruit, 
knows the area, and doesn't have a huge name because you don't want to hire on name alone. You've got so many infrastructure problems and so much inertia at the university as a whole that you need somebody that's going to come in and look at this as a challenge, not as a stepping stone type job. But his East Coast, Northeast roots have definitely helped. And obviously, I certainly think in football it has helped that Rutgers is in the league because schools are coming in left and right and coaching guys out of the Garden State. But it's taken a long time, but they finally seem to be moving in the right direction. It's very difficult when you come in with a partner. They came in with Maryland, and by the time Maryland had entered the Big Ten, they had a great basketball history, Gary Williams, Coldfield House. They had won a national championship in 2002. So for Rutgers to be paired with them, was very difficult because Maryland had such a big head start and had so much more basketball history than the Scarlet Knights do. But they're definitely moving in the right direction, and I don't think it's out of the question they could win two out of their final three games. I think Saturday at Carver would be tough, but if they can win against Penn State and Indiana, you never know. And I think that things are moving in the right direction, but again, that's not exactly the highest bar out there. Zubin from uh, College Basketball. Let's go to the pros, your beloved NBA what are you going to do if the Lakers don't make the playoffs? I mean, you guys, you got three months of programming tied up on Laker and LeBron talk. What are you going to do over there? It's really an interesting story. I guess the fallback option is if the Lakers don't make the playoffs, at least we can talk nonstop every day about them perhaps not making the playoffs. Yeah. That's like the second best thing we could do. It's a really interesting situation because now you're hearing things that you aren't hearing before. Um, after the loss the other night to the Grizzlies, I mean, it almost hit like a DEFCON 5 level for a guy like LeBron that's been in every final since 2011, I mean, you were hearing comments, and this was viral. It was everywhere. Um, you know, they had come off the loss of the Pelicans. You know, you're hearing things like LeBron is not in shape. You're hearing things like LeBron trotting back on defense as fast as Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, those are some of the metrics we have. And Dirk can be, you know, 20 years in the league, and he's on his way out the door, and he doesn't even start anymore. So you can appreciate that. But the idea that LeBron is just being criticized the way that he is, and then obviously he laid one on to his teammates and said, if you guys are distracted by the notion of trade talk, you shouldn't be here. But what's so interesting is the admiration. I think at the beginning of the season, Kuzma, Ball, Ingram, Hart, all the young players had an amazing amount of admiration for LeBron, and, and how couldn't you if you're a kid watching this guy? But then you get on a team with him and you think to yourself, this guy didn't really want me. This guy wanted to ship me out and trade half the team to get Anthony Davis. Now, that's the business of the NBA. Those young guys shouldn't be surprised by that. But I think when you combine the fact that half the team knows they're on one-year deals and won't be back, the coach likely isn't going to be back, and LeBron's calling the shots. They already swung and missed on Anthony Davis. They might miss the playoffs. This is for a guy that's been to every finals since 2011. And the notion that now he is getting criticized for not playing defense and being out of shape and going to Los Angeles for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't a basketball move. This is a level of scrutiny. LeBron is used to incredible levels of scrutiny. That's nothing new. But this is a whole new wave that I don't think he's experienced before. He always knew his teammates had his back, even if they weren't as talented as him. Now I'm not quite sure if his teammates have his back because I don't think those guys think that LeBron has their back. Hmm. Subin, I got two ESPN things for you. We'll let you go. Uh, one of them's uh, the combine. We'll get to that in a second. But I got to give uh, Greenberg and uh, and Williams credit yet again. Uh, but going back to Monday night, and they were looking ahead to Tuesday in the Duke for Virginia Tech game, and Duke was coming off a nice win over Syracuse. Uh, Barrett went crazy in that game. We knew Zion wasn't going to play, and you just assume that you know it's number three versus number twenty, and Duke's gonna 
you know, be able to do what they normally do, and that's come out on the winning end. And yet, both of the guys said, you know what, tap the brakes a little bit. This is a different Virginia Tech team, the way that they play defense and the way that they guard you. Don't be shocked if Duke uh, does, isn't able to put this one in the win column. Of course, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that was the crux of the conversation. Now, right again, Zubin. You know what's interesting about those guys, and, and this is one of those things where I think a lot of people looked at Virginia Tech and just said, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it. You know, you're playing without Robinson for right. part of the season. Uh, what do you expect? Uh, Duke obviously got their sea legs under them. You know, they had played prior to that game, as you know, they had played 79 of their last 80 minutes without Zion Williamson, and now they've played like 119 of their last 120 minutes without Zion Williamson. But you look at it from Saturday, and you say, all right, they figured it out. R.J. had 30, O'Connell came off the bench and had 20, and I'm not sure you can expect that every day moving forward. But those guys, it's amazing just how closely they're watching things. I mean, if you say to them something like, and this is always something I've appreciated if you're a college basketball fan, if I went up to Coach Greenberg and said, Coach, what do you think about Utah State? Out of the blue, <laughs> like just completely out of the blue. Dude, they got a big one against Nevada. Nevada's got an opportunity for a win here, and Logan, and this, and that, and it's just one of those things, if you're a fan at home, like I know, Ken, you're watching games every night, I'm watching games every night. The fact that they can talk about amazing. Utah State as cogently as they can talk about Duke is something, because this is the type of sport, unlike football, where if you're a Utah State fan, you're like, you are dreaming. You are thinking about winning the Mountain West. You are thinking about upsetting Nevada and seeing what could happen in the tournament. And I I walked by Coach Greenberg the other day where he said to me, have you seen the crowds at Grand Canyon? You know, he'll just say that out of the blue. And I'll be like, Grand Canyon with Dan Marley? He's like, oh, it's unbelievable. you got to see it. And that, to me, is the essence of it. It's not just Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, and those types of schools. It's not just the Blue Bloods or Hilton Magic every once in a while or Oregon with Bowl Bowl. These guys are talking deep, deep, deep college basketball. And that's great because there's fans of every team across the country, and those guys are locked in with everything. And no better example than this week. They're going to Houston this week. I saw that. Down great. With, uh, Kelvin Sampson on Friday, and he's done an amazing job. And if it wasn't for a block charge call, Ken, their one loss mm. came over a month ago on a block charge call, Mm-mm-mm. or otherwise they would be perfect. So uh, we're spreading the love. We've been to Virginia. We've been to Duke a couple times. We've been to Kentucky. We've been to Kansas. But now we're going AAC. So I think that's just another example. There's only eight college game day shows a year for hoops, but they're trying to get everywhere and make sure all the conferences that are relevant are covered, whether they're major or not. Glad you brought that up, Zubin. And finally, we've got about one minute left with you. Uh, ESPN slash ABC going to broadcast a couple of hours of the Combine, which is remarkable just how far that event has come and how much it has grown. My question is, Zubin, will we get a combination of NFL guys and college guys? Herb Street going to be a part of it, maybe with a couple of the uh, NFL talents? How will ABC, ESPN uh, handle? Do you know the uh, two-hour special on Sunday? Yeah, we got a bunch of dudes out there. A lot of it's going to be front office related as well. So you'll see a lot of our guys out there from that perspective. The big thing that we're selling is uh, uh, Kuiper has actually never been to the Combine, believe it or not. He's put out his mm-hmm. blue book every year. He's been the preeminent draft analyst. But he has actually never attended the NFL scouting Combine. So this is actually going to be the first year where Mel Kuiper Jr. is going to be there in person. We had a chance to talk about it the other day, and that's sort of something that's interesting because he is probably as woven in with the draft as any single media member. So I think you're going to see a lot of Kuiper this weekend because this is the guy people associate so much with the run-up to the draft, which is the combine in the pro days, and he's going to be there for the first time in his over 30-plus years 
at ESPN. So you'll get a chance to see something that you probably thought you'd seen over the years. Mel must have made it out right. once in a while. Uh, but he hasn't, and so this will be his maiden voyage. Should be a lot of fun. Good stuff. Zubin, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Yep, good to talk to you. Thanks, we'll talk Zubin. to Zubamante, ESPN next week. Um, we got some housekeeping here. Oh, oh, what do we do? Did we do something wrong? Well, no, 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 no. Oh, we good. we got some things though that we. So last week in our Claxons Friday giveaway, yes, our contest, yes, four contestants each week. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again Friday, eleven forty-five. They all went one and three. It's brutal. All four of them against the spread. You know what? If we don't have a if one one of our contestants does not get I think we should institute this rule. Okay. If one of our contestants does not get over either hit or go over 500, uh-huh. you and I get the prize. Oh, I like how you're thinking. Right? We'll have to talk to legal about that. Yeah, that's not going to fly. But, but, so fly. what did we end up doing? Was it, Obviously, the tiebreaker came into play. It did, and our tiebreaker was total points out of you and I without mm-hmm. going over. Yeah. You always put that caveat uh-huh. in there. They scored 64. Aaron had 63. He's got himself, by the sounds of things, $35. And Brian had 62. Wow. So he gets second. Our buddy Shane, who uh, went with one, I was really hoping if there was ever a time to get it, be that one. But uh, alas, it didn't happen. One and three, good enough to get you Claxons. Brutal. That's all it takes. (laughs) Harder than it looks. It is Uh, against the spread. games against the spread. All right, so speaking of which, Drake, is this senior night for them? It's got to be, It is, yes. Wow, because the tournament starts a week from uh, tomorrow. Yeah, right. In St. Louis. And Drake and you and I will not be there. And, well, they will be, but they won't be playing they on Thursday. Won't be playing, yes. Uh, because uh, Coach DeVries got to pick up an award on Thursday at the banquet, I would assume. Yeah, you're not giving it to anybody else. You can't. No, no. You can't. With what they, what he did in year one, mm-hmm. the injury to Norton, and here they are. Went out, they're going to share, at the very Crazy. least. And Crazy. Indiana State tonight, six and a half point favorite. Mm-hmm. Bulldogs have been great against the number. Lay the points. You know, I was asked. Uh, I was. We're, we're talking downstairs uh, after the show yesterday, and somebody would. Would Drake beat some of the uh, like an uh, uh, teams that are going to get in the tournament, right? Like an Oklahoma from the Big Ten, or a Minnesota, uh, Oklahoma from the Big Twelve, or a Minnesota from the Big Ten. Would would have would a mid major that's toward the top of their conference this year have a chance? Uh, take what take one of those bids. A bubble team. Yeah. No. You don't think they the would MVC them? is historically bad this mm-hmm. year? We we've talked about the step. Back. Well, it doesn't necessarily need to be Drake, although that was the example that was used. If it, if it's Wofford, or if it is a team like that, South Dakota State, sure. Uh huh. Not Drake, not even Loyola. Right. There's a real possibility. Maybe a team out of the Mountain West. Yes, the MVC this season mm-hmm. might be a 16 seed. Mm. That is. In my memory, never happened. Yeah. And, and in fact, I know it's never happened because you go way back, well, before the expansion in 1985 to 64 teams, there weren't 16 seeds. Be the first year that ever. Never happened. Uh, so, a couple of things. We got high school basketball tomorrow. Uh, real quick, Chad Ryan North uh, is calling in a career as mm-hmm. North got beat last night. Uh, the little cyclones uh, knocked them out. What, what a story. And I think it was a few years ago. Was it the Reds? Somebody did a terrific piece on Chad Ryan and what he means to that program and how he goes above and beyond and picking up kids and yeah. dropping off kids and feeding kids. What a, what a great, great human being he must be. How well did you or do you know him? Uh, pretty well, yeah. Got to know him throughout the years, and you're right. What, what he has done for that community and the basketball program and those kids. And, and it's not just about the kids that go on to play collegiately, but everybody else in between and how 
He's impacted lives. Mm-hmm. A great career on the coaching staff there at North has done great things and and really built great men out of it. Congratulations, a great career for Chad Absolutely. We've got high school basketball coverage tomorrow, live for the state tournament starting at 10. Murph and Andy, again, will have, will carry the uh, Gary Barta, Gary Dolphin press conference starting at 3. Murph and Andy at 2, Fanatics at 4. We'll do it all again tomorrow with the rush. They start at 6, 1460 KXNO.